Al- almost uh, thought that there wasn't going to be church this, this morning not seeing Bob out there today. No. What, is it, what, anybody? You know, I hope we get an update uh, sometime. Wasn't that great this morning? Psalm 40 just really sings so well into our hearts and preaches so well into our hearts. Uh, thank you to Drew for that message this, this morning. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, try to fig- figure about, wh- th- so you know Chuck is gone. I don't know if anybody realizes I'm not, I'm not Chuck Tedrick. Uh, he asked me, can you do something from uh, your latest book, um, which is called um, Recovering Our Sanity? <laughs> Thank you. Which obviously I need to read. Um, and uh, so I thought what I would do is uh, really talk about the, the passage that provoked me to write it in the first place, uh, and that is Daniel 4. If you have your Bibles or your pew Bibles, uh, you might want to turn there. Daniel chapter 4, and it begins at verse uh, 28. While you're, while you're turning there, you know, some of you may have seen the poster from the 80s when we were into posters. Uh, there are two facts of existence, basic facts of existence. There is a God, and you are not him. Now, it's a predicate nominative, so it should be you are not he, but that's... The only thing wrong with that poster, it got it, it, it got it pretty well. Those two basic facts are what we have trouble with. That's what we have the most trouble with. There is a God, and you aren't God. Um, sanity is living with the grain of reality. I don't think that's a controversial point. I don't think that divides Christians from non-Christians. I think we can all agree sanity is living with the grain of reality. Um, you know, uh, I, when I was a kid, I thought that uh, I had superpowers. So I climbed on top of the roof, and I had a cape on, and I thought I could fly. I didn't, as it turns out. I fell into the bushes, broke my arm, and Really, you know, freedom from all laws and all constraints is is really doesn't happen in physics. Uh, You don't really break physical laws, natural laws. You break yourself against them. So you got to be sane. You got to live with the grain of how things actually are. Um, People who say there is no war in Ukraine going on right now aren't living with a grain of reality. Uh, The Holocaust was all made up, not living with a grain of reality. And and to say there is no God and there is no judgment up ahead is insane. Uh, it's, It's not living with the grain of reality. And the passage before us, Daniel chapter 4, is a great example of someone who did not live with the grain of reality. Now, this is someone who really needed to. 
and probably did in all kinds of areas of his life. He couldn't have been that powerful and wealthy and successful as an emperor uh, if, he, if he didn't have some wits about him. But when it came to what was most important, he didn't live with a grain of reality. He was insane. It's about 580 B.C., 580 years before Christ. And uh, Babylon is the third superpower arrayed against Israel. Uh, Assyria, uh, Egypt first, and then the Assyrian Empire. And now the Babylonians have arisen as a world power and have taken all the riches of Tyre, the whole Western Syrian, uh, Western Asian part of the continent, and, and plundered them. It has, as a result, grown not only as an empire, but in its wealth and power and might. And in its arrogance. And yet, God prophesied one to two hundred years before that that if Israel didn't repent, Babylon would be used as his instrument of judgment. They would, they would be imprisoned in Babylon, and the Babylonian exile marked. Israel's consciousness as much as the Exodus. Two major events in the, in, in the, in the uh, psyche of Israel was the Exodus when God delivered us from Egypt and the exile and when God delivered us from that. It was when Cyrus, king of Persia, dethroned uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the, uh, uh, his, his heir and toppled Babylon's cruel dictatorship and then spread its empire, the Persian Empire, the largest empire ever to date, uh, spread its empire all the way from northern India all the way, uh, to southern Europe and from the Black Sea to Egypt. So what's really remarkable is Cyrus is the one prophesied in Isaiah as the Messiah, the one who will save Israel because uh, he delivered Israel from the jaws of slavery in Babylon. And, and he did. Now, of course, he's a type. He's not he, you know, Messiah with a little m, anointed. He was anointed for that purpose, for that task. A faint image of the Messiah, capital M, who was to come. Uh, But Isaiah prophesies that Cyrus is going to topple this proud dictator, Nebuchadnezzar II. It's interesting, in Jeremiah 25, God calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. He's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his purposes, even if Nebuchadnezzar thinks is all about him. He has no regard for the God of Israel whatsoever. What God does he worship? Marduk. Marduk who, uh, who killed his parents. Uh, his dad was not much holier than that. Uh, his dad wanted to kill him and all his brothers and sisters because they were making so much noise. 
and bugging their mom. And so dad wanted to just kill everybody, all the kids. And uh, Marduk rose up and said, I'm not going to let that happen. And, and he won the battle. He, 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 he slew his mother and father, the sea, uh, and the, the freshwater sea, Apsu and Tiamat, uh, the freshwater uh, god, uh, goddess. So he slew them and he became the king of everybody. So does that sound familiar? familiar? Uh, Zeus. Uh, Zeus killed Kronos, who tried to kill Zeus and all of his brothers and sisters. And then he became the king of the gods. That was Marduk, and that's where the Greeks got the idea from Enuma Elish, the Babylonian myth. And so this is a pretty, uh, and that myth goes all the way back, long before Babylon, long before Nebuchadnezzar. But that's his god. He rules in the name of Marduk. A warrior god, the storm god. And so Nebuchadnezzar himself is the embodiment on earth of that storm god. He is the divine king. He is God incarnate. Marduk incarnate. And it's at this time the Hebrew prophets are preaching no god but Yahweh. (laughs) That's really the context of the whole book of Daniel, it's also, uh, Daniel is the context for the book of Revelation. And let me just read a couple of passages here on the fall of Babylon. After this, I saw another angel, Revelation 18, coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. She is the prostitute of the earth. She's the one who leads all the nations astray. She's glorified herself and lived in luxury So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since she says in her heart, I sit as queen, I'm no widow. And mourning, I shall never see. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of all the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, and all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. And so the whole economy is going to fall apart. The whole world will come uh, uh, unhinged when this final uh, proclamation from the angel announces the destruction of Babylon. Babylon, Babylon has fallen. Now Babylon comes to represent the whole 
world empire arrayed against God and His Messiah. Uh, it's not just talking about the Babylon of, of history, but the, the universal Babylon, the city of man arrayed against the city of God. And so that's how big Babylon was in the imagination of the Jewish people, including Christians. Uh, Babylon represents everything that is opposed to the Lord and His anointed. Then in, what happens here in, 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 uh, uh, in the book of Daniel, though, is really strange because Daniel, now they're in captivity, and Daniel receives a Harvard education. Uh, he, he receives the, the, the best education he, he could get from the Magi, from the, the, the learned ones uh, in, in Iran. Babylon. And yet he doesn't surrender anything to Marduk and the false religion that holds Babylon under its spell. Doesn't believe that Nebuchadnezzar is the divine king. Will not eat non-kosher food at the king's table, marking the separation between Yahweh and his people. But he'll He'll, he'll uh, learn the language of Babylon. He'll learn the science of Babylon. Uh, very early pioneers of, of science. He'll learn all of that, but he, he will not bend the knee to Marduk. Shamelessly narcissistic, Nebuchadnezzar demanded that everyone bow their knee to him as the embodiment of Marduk. They must worship his image, not just Marduk's image, but his own image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do that, and they were thrown in the furnace, but nothing happened to them. They weren't burned. fourth person showed up, who was Jesus before the incarnation. Uh, could go into there uh, for quite a while, but, but won't. And they were, the fire was boiling, but they were not burned. Once Nebuchadnezzar sees this, he says, Therefore I shall make a decree, any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruins, for there is no other God who's able to deliver in this way. Now, what's remarkable is that God's own people were sent into Babylonian captivity because although they had seen God's works and their fathers had seen God's works and their fathers had seen God's works, they turned to idols. Nebuchadnezzar worships the idols and yet sees the work of God and believes. Jesus said to the, you know, the religious leaders, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe if someone were to rise from the dead. Sometimes, you know, people are so hard-hearted, it doesn't really matter the evidence. Even if, well, if I, if I were there at the tomb on that first Easter, 
then I would, I, I would believe it. But I, I you know, right. Um, the disciples didn't believe it at first. They had to be convinced. Thomas had to put his hand in his eye. You know what I'm talking about. So they saw the works of God. Nebuchadnezzar said, anybody who has that kind of power over nature beats Marduk. But then he tells the story. Uh, uh, we're given the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the backstory on his conversion in verses 28 and following. So Daniel has a, has a dream. The vision is uh, that uh, he's going to have his kingdom taken from him. Imagine being Daniel. It's like, uh, why, don't you, why don't you let your diviners do this? You know, your dream therapists. Let them... Let them do this for you. Um, no, I want you to, Daniel. You're, 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 you're this, you've turned out to be like the smartest guy in Babylon. I, I want you to interpret my dreams. Ah, why don't, I mean, what about, what about uh, this guy, Nick, Nick over here? How about, you know, he's pretty good at, at the dream stuff. No, I want you. Okay, all right. All right this is, well, this is what the dream means, my Lord. It means that you're going to lose your kingdom. And you're going to lose your sanity. And other really unencouraging things Daniel has to to explain to the king is about to happen to him. Sure enough, it all happened beginning at verse 28. All this came Upon King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon. Here he is strutting on the roof of his penthouse suite, looking at everything that is built for him. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? doesn't even mention Marduk. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men. And gives it to whomever he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. Um, Some of us are old enough to remember the story of Howard Hughes. Uh, and, and it's worth going back and watching the, there's a movie about, the, the, about his, his life. Howard Hughes was the richest man on earth at one time. Lived in Los Angeles, was a Hollywood mogul, and then he ended up just reaching into, putting his fingers into all kinds of pies. Really was an amazing uh, pioneer in aeronautic design and, and so forth. Um, 
have Noah come up and talk about Howard Hughes' contribution to air and space. But he, he uh, really was a remarkable man, but his power and his wealth drove him mad. He began to believe that he was, he was God. There was no one. There, were, there was nothing that could stand in his way to power and glory and fame. And then tragically, his life turns to isolation and deprivation. He ends up, spoiler alert, <clears throat> he ends up living in a hotel room with plastic on the, the floors and the walls because he's afraid of germs. His hair has grown and become very unkempt and unclean. His fingernails have grown out until they curl. And he urinates in bottles that he leaves around the floor. That's more pure than the germs that he could get from somewhere else. This was his, these were his final days, the final days of the most powerful man on earth. It, and it's a remarkably similar scenario, it, it, the way he appears, even. Now, he didn't literally look like a beast or a bird, but he, he was turned into... See, the thing is, God made us in his image so that we can either look up and be like the angels who worship and serve him day and night, or we can look down and become like the beasts. God put us in the middle, looking up or looking down, and Nebuchadnezzar put himself in the position of the highest, the most high God. He was living against the grain of reality. Only if he had created himself... Does he have a right over himself? He's acting as if he's the creator. That's insane. And yet, we live like that again and again throughout our lives. It's the way, it's normal. It's, that's sane. In our culture, that's sane. Um... You gotta live your truth. You gotta be, you got you be you. You do you. You in other words, you be your own creator. I'll be my creator. We'll all create ourselves. It's a problem when you have democracy and theocracy combined. In other words, when everybody's a god, you don't really have anybody to rule. But we think we do. We're like Van Tilsa gave a great analogy of of a child who puts on a pretend king's hat, a crown, I think they call them, uh, and climbs up into the king's lap, pretends he has a scepter, climbs up into the king's lap, and then slaps his face. That's what we're like. That's certainly what Nebuchadnezzar was like. Reminds me of uh, Walt Whitman, romantic uh, poet who said, I celebrate myself and sing myself, and what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you, creeds and schools in abeyance. 
Retiring back a while sufficed at what they are, but never forgotten. I harbor for good or bad. I permit myself to speak at every hand. Nature without check with original energy. I accept reality. They're not questioning. Really? This is insane. I accept reality. Like, mm, he thinks you protest too much. I, 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 I accept reality. I dare not question it. Materialism first and last imbuing. Walt Whitman, a cosmos of Manhattan the sun. Divine am I inside and out, and I make holy whatever I touch or am touched from. Wow. He ends by saying, I know perfectly well my own egotism, know my omnivorous lines, and must not write any less, and would fetch you whoever you are flush with myself. Sermons, creeds, theology, but the fathomless human brain. And what is reason? They're going to throw reason out too. And what is reason? And what is love? And what is life? You see, it becomes all-encompassing. You lose all these wonderful, good things, even reason. When you live against the grain of reality at the most fundamental level. And so the tree gets chopped down by an angel, only with a stump left. The mind of the stump in the vision, remember this is a vision, the mind of the stump was changed to that of a beast. He'll lose his sanity along with his kingdom. That's exactly what happened. He thought that it was all about him, all eyes on me. But then we read, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. Instead of looking at myself, I looked up at my maker, reorienting my whole horizon. I am not a, I didn't create myself, I didn't create Babylon. God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God is the creator of all. I raised my eyes to heaven and my sanity was restored. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, including Himself. Because He does whatever He wants among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can push away his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's a better testimony to the sovereignty of God than you could have gotten out of most Israelites during the time. Because he had seen the mastery of this God over nature. Just as the disciples saw Jesus' mastery over 
the storms, and even death itself, as we've been hearing as pastors have been going through the gospel. At the same time, my sanity returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom again, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for his works are right, and his ways are just. Oh, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The rest of the book of Daniel tells us about how these kingdoms unfold, and then finally there's the last kingdom, the Greco-Roman kingdom, foretelling all of this in great detail. And then you finally get that terrible last kingdom, the kingdom, kingdom of Rome, with Caesar claiming to be God. He takes titles like Soteros, Savior, He demands to be called a God, the God embodied on earth. He has an eternal dominion, eternal Rome. He has sovereign dominion. He's Lord and God. He has a gracious dominion, statutes across his empire. But it is during this period that we see the most insane the most insane level of the world's preoccupation with its own power and glory that the world is called to bow to the life in the womb of a little jewish girl who is the Son of God, who is the Savior, who is the only God incarnate, who for our sakes, though he was rich, became poor. And Mary's Magnificat says it all, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy, it's a merciful kingdom, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their imagination. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, forever. And now her son spreads his dominion across the whole empire of the world that's never covered on CNN. 
Really, it's not, it's not, it, it doesn't get a lot of headlines. And yet it's the most expansive kingdom and empire that has ever existed in human history. And it brings salvation. It brings sanity. It brings reconciliation with God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that your dominion is eternal. Your dominion is universal. And your dominion is merciful. You have even this morning invited us to take our thrones, not as thrones we have made for ourselves as little gods, but as the humble of the earth, to take our thrones around your table as redeemed and restored princes and princesses. Thank you for restoring that image. Thank you for showing us how insane, how beastly it is for us to live like the animals when we actually think we're kings. Help us, Father, to be humbled by you so that we can be raised by you with your Son who humbled himself unto death and now sits at your right hand. Hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen.